Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to the first episode of the new decade. We hope everyone had a festive and safe holiday season and start to the new year. I am your host, Taylor Hillman, in the studio, and our correspondent at large, Ernie Neff, is in the field for all four of our topics today. Topics that include this very podcast and efforts to get research information out to growers, some threshold numbers on production costs that are a little shocking with current juice prices the way they are, nutrition programs that continue to help manage trees in a world with Huang Long Bing disease, and the latest on the breeding front to combat both of those previously mentioned topics. As always, we start with Dr. Michael Rogers. Here's Ernie Neff with the interview. I'm with Michael Rogers, director of the Citrus Research and Education Center at Lake Alfred. Good day, Michael. Good afternoon, Ernie. Michael, it's the start of a new year, obviously. We're in January What's IFAS got in store for 2020? Any big New Year's resolutions? Well, um, I don't know if they're necessarily New Year's resolutions. Um, I've never been good at sticking to resolutions, but we've definitely got a lot planned for the coming year. And I guess if I had to make a resolution, that is that uh, this year we're really doubling down and and working to improve uh, our communications even further. Uh, So communications continues to be our focus uh, in the statewide IFAS citrus programs. Um, and and by, communica- by communications, I'm talking about not just talking about what we're doing in IFAS, but also making sure that we're getting the right information out to growers that they can put to use now in their citrus groves. And in our efforts um, with this, this new effort, um, emphasis on communications really started back in late 2018 um, at the Citrus Expo. We, we launched our All In for Citrus campaign. That's when all that really got started, the first first time we started discussing that and and that's where things like this podcast was launched around that time as well as uh, a newsletter we're putting out monthly a new website and there's been some other activities also that we've we've developed in the past year Um, one example of a a new activity was the uh, citrus nutrition management program or the nutrition box people like to call it and so we've had a number of things this past year we've been working on trying to get more information out to growers and some of the things I think have gone really well, um, some, of the, some of our efforts need a little more work, and to be honest. Um, for example, I think the website's a good example. We, we put the website together, um, but we haven't kept up with it like we should. And um, so there's some, there's some areas for improvement there where we can get more information uh, on that website. But, but the thing, what I found is it really takes a person dedicated to making sure all these programs keep the momentum and uh, keep going in the right direction, keep new information flowing. You got that person here now, I think. Yes, we do, and uh, I'm glad to announce that uh, in the first part of January of 2020, um, uh, Ruth Borger, who was formerly the Associate Vice President of IFAS Communications, uh, she has joined us here in Lake Alfred now, Director of Communications for Citrus Outreach. And um, so we're, we're really excited to have Ruth on board. And so she's really going to be... Um, taking a lead role in making sure that uh, all the information on our, our new website, for example, is getting updated, helping us develop new strategies to communicate better and more timely with growers. 
And uh, we've had some good success, as I mentioned, on some of our things like the podcast, for example. I think we're averaging about 400 to 500 listeners per month, which is, which is outstanding. Um, the, the newsletter's gone well. She'll be helping to, to help even improve that more. And again, like I said, things like the website. And there's some other activities that we have planned for 2020 that, uh, that Ruth will be taking the lead on. Uh, she'll be spearheading those activities, new initiatives to try to help further improve our communications with growers throughout the state. And as the director of statewide citrus communications, Dr. Borger is not only um, working with us here in Lake Alfred, but also our faculty at Immokalee, uh, Fort Pierce, and, and also connecting with those faculty in Gainesville as well. So, you know, she's truly leading the statewide citrus communications effort. And hopefully through that, through her efforts, we'll be able to improve even further um, our communications with growers throughout the state in the year to head. This is all great, Michael, because we all know Florida citrus growers depend heavily on UFIFAS, always have, and they want to know what's going on. So thanks for those efforts. Uh, I think most in the industry are aware there's a search for a new VP, a vice president for IFAS. Can you give us a little update on that? I think you're on the search committee. Yes, I, I'm serving on the search and screen committee for the new vice president of IFAS. Uh, we've had Dr. Jack Payne. Uh, he's approaching 10 years in this position now. I think as of uh, maybe January 1 of 2020 will be 10 years, and, and he's, he's going to go ahead and retire and enjoy life. Uh, the search and screen committee has, has met and, and been looking at candidates, and um, there will be some announcements coming out very soon, uh, probably sooner than we expect. Um, where they'll be announcing some interviews for the candidates for this position. And um, I think it's important for growers to know that because there will be some opportunities for each of these candidates that are interviewed. Um, there's a part of the interview process will take place in Gainesville, but then there will also be another location further south and central in the state that's to be determined. But that's the opportunity for growers if they want to come out and interact with the potential vice president candidates, get to meet them, talk to them, hear from them. Uh, those opportunities can be made available because we're very interested in seeing what, the, what our growers think about these candidates as we make those decisions moving forward. And so just pay attention. We'll be, the announcements will be going out, and we want to make sure that everybody um, who's able can participate and, and get to meet these candidates and help provide us some information and feedback as, as those decisions are made. Finally, Michael, any upcoming events for growers to put on their calendars, be aware of? Yeah, there's a few a few uh, events right now that I uh, know of. Uh, more are being planned still, but um, we've been having uh, our uh, citrus uh, variety fruit display days um, here at, at Lake Alfred and across the state. Um, we have another one coming up February 14th. I think that's a Friday here at the CREC. And our, our fruit displays have been very well attended this year. We, we're really appreciative of the growers and the feedback that they've given when they've attended those. Uh, the one in February... Well, probably it, what I think I, I like about it is um, it's getting later in the season, so we have more opportunity for some of the new juice varieties, the new juice uh, round oranges that will be uh, presented. So for those growers who are really interested in not only fresh fruit but some of the juice varieties, this is an opportunity to taste some of the newer varieties like OLL, the OLL series uh, that have come out. And uh, so, again, that's February 14th here at the CREC. Um, our plant breeders also um, are going to be taking that show on the road, um, not necessarily for growers, uh, but we're going further north. And uh, then the very next week, February 18th, we're going to be in Tallahassee. Um, UF uh, is hosting a Gator Days at the state capitol in Tallahassee. And as part of that, there's going to be an IFAS experience. And uh, part of that IFAS experience is going to be a, a fruit display 
particularly focused on juice. And um, as legislators come into work that day in the Capitol, we're going to be set up uh, handing out juice samples from our new varieties. Um, again, just showing them, you know, here's what's happening down south. You know, they, the legislature, they've, they've provided money uh, for research, and we want to show them, you know, here's what's happening. We're putting this to use, and here's some of the new varieties, new juice varieties that are available, and let them taste for themselves how good these new varieties are. And, of course, lastly, um, uh, I've got also uh, an annual event we have, the Citrus Growers Institute, which is put on by our citrus extension agents in Avon Park. Um, it's a little later this year than it has been in the past. It's scheduled for April 14th in Avon Park. Uh, so going ahead and put that on your calendars. There'll be more information coming out about that soon. Uh, but we look forward to seeing everyone at that event as well. Michael, thank you. We'll be sending this back to Taylor. Thank you, Ernie, and great information there from Dr. Rogers, and happy to hear that Ruth Borger is now on the team as well. Our next topic is with a citrus economist who had an interesting article on financial thresholds for producers with juice prices currently as low as they are. Here is Ernie Neff again with the interview. I'm with Ariel Singerman, the extension economist at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Ariel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for coming. Ariel, you recently wrote an article, How Much Can Growers Afford to Spend on the Caretaking of Their Processed Orange Groves? What was the essence of that article? What were you attempting to do there? So basically what has been happening lately is that uh, prices have uh, decreased significantly. Uh, Last October, the Florida Department of Citrus forecasted that prices would be down uh, 25% uh, this 2019-20 season. And so as a consequence of that, uh, growers have to make decisions regarding the management of their groves. Would you run through an example of where prices are projected to be, maybe either for uh, Hamlin's or for Valencia's compared to price processors that are offering or are expected to offer and production costs. So the Florida Department of Citrus forecasted prices for uh, mid-season oranges to be at $1.62 per pound solids. That is down from uh, $2.20 last season. And for Valencia's, they are projected to be $1.78 per pound solid in this season, down from $2.38 last season. So that's about a 25% decline for each variety. And how does... What is the average production per acre in Florida? So, of course, it varies, but according to the data that I collected last season, the average cost of production per acre is $1,847 per acre uh, in terms of cultural costs. And that's probably more than most growers can make or break even in their current uh, production levels, right? Yes, well, so some growers are spending less than that and some growers are spending more than that. But with this level, this new level of prices, it means that in order to break even, they have to cut back on cost unless they have contracts for higher prices. But if in case they don't, given the current, the current spot prices, they would need to reduce the amount of uh, cost and inputs they are putting in the growths Uh, just to break even. I think your article indicated growers would need somewhere up close to 300 boxes an acre, maybe in the high 200s with those production costs and those prices. And 
uh, they're not getting on average anywhere close to that. We're down in the low 200s, right? Yeah, so last season, uh, the average yield for uh, um, early and mid-season uh, growth was 202 boxes per acre. But if prices are this low this season, then they would need to increase uh, their yield to 295 boxes per acre, which is pretty uh, unattainable given the current HLB uh, environment. So the other option that growers have is to decrease their cost, and they would need to do so for, again, early and mids, uh, for about $577 per acre. That is about a 30 percent reduction in uh, cost. And I think we've all heard this season, Ariel, some growers have at least a a month or so ago were indicating they've got no offers for their fruit. And those who are getting offers are not even getting that 162 on the spot basis, correct? Yeah, more recently, it seems that there are some offers that are about $1 per, per pound solid, and that would require, at a, at a yield that uh, would leave them at break-even, that would require them to go down to $545 per acre, which is pretty low. A big part of this problem, as I understand, was brought on when Hurricane Irma hit in 2017, processors didn't realize that Florida growers were going to recover quite as well as they have. They made some commitments to buy imported juice. And now some that's part of the reason, as I understand it, and I think you do, that a lot of growers are setting on fruit. They can't market. Yes. So, and that seems to be the case not only for this season, but apparently they have multi-year contracts to buy imported juice. And so that poses a big problem because what that would mean is even if growers can withstand lower prices this season, I am not sure for how long they can keep on uh, incurring those losses because after all of the efforts that have been industry-wide to deal with uh, the challenges that HLB poses and now finally having uh, the industry have a, a turnaround or some sort of turnaround then we have these market conditions that actually, you know, jeopardize many of, of the growers that are still in business, but I'm not sure for how long. Ariel, we thank you for the information. I'll send it back to you, Taylor. A very eye-opening conversation for sure with some of those numbers. Hopefully a lot of those juice contracts are not multi-year deals. As Ernie mentioned, of course those production costs are higher because growers are trying to weather Wang Lung Bing disease and keep the trees as healthy as possible. Ernie also got a chance to talk to researchers about how the disease impacts the roots of the trees and although more costly up front, how some practices are continuing to help. I'm with Evan Johnson. You're, of course, here at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. HLB, I think we have all learned over the last couple of years through you and others, wreaks havoc on citrus tree roots. Tell us a little about that. Yeah, it was Jim Graham and I, many years ago now, probably around 2010, 2011, kind of happened upon by accident, um, really, in some ways. Um, that HLB causes severe damage to the root system of citrus trees before you see foliar symptoms, and that continues to worsen as HLB develops in the tree and as it declines. 
So it basically leads to early on, shortly after the tree gets HLB, you have a 30 to 50% root fibrous root loss or feeder root loss, those fine roots that are absorbing the nutrients. And then um, as that progresses and as the disease progresses and you start to really see canopy symptoms, it leads to a 70 to 80% fibrous root loss. 70 to 80%, that's tremendous. Trees really struggle with that few roots, don't they? Yeah, they really do. And it's really shocking. I've had a couple opportunities to go out to growers' fields when they're pulling up a grove and see rate in advance, you know, the the level of HLB in the different trees and then look at the root systems afterwards. And it's really very few feeder roots left. Their ability to absorb water and nutrients from the soil is severely limited. It's it almost looks just like a skeleton, a structural root skeleton. So what can growers do to cope with this situation? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> so far we've kind of in all of our investigations, we were hoping we could come up with a, a nice, easy treatment for growers to be like, okay, go and put this on your soil, and it'll you know, recover the root health. Um, all of our attempts to look into that as a, a method of managing it have unfortunately failed. Um, and so really we're at the point of realizing that these plants have a reduced root mass and that we have to adjust our management strategy for that. So it's really more of a thinking about how you get the nutrients in that you need. The, the traditional method is kind of just three times a year, go out and put out some fertilizer um, as a granular, and then occasionally put some foliar sprays to you know, make up for the rest if you see some nutrient deficiency. We've really had to modify that kind of idea and go towards more of a, a spoon feeding, give it to them in lower doses frequently. So like a fertigation method would be much better which actually in many ways can reduce your total inputs of fertilizer anyway, even on a healthy tree, because you are, you're not wasting as much going th- right through the, the root zone and into the aquifer. So it's actually kind of, it, it's a win-win both ways. The Although, tree's using everything you're feeding yeah, it. Yeah, the tree has more opportunity because you're giving it in smaller doses, has more opportunities to grab it and kind of pull it out of the soil. And you're not wasting that that flows through. So, Although there, of course, is that upfront cost because you ha- do have to install the fertigation system. So it's not completely win-win. There is, of course, always a cost associated with that. Any other things uh, that, or is that the biggie? Well, that's one of the biggies. And then one of the things that very early on kind of I thought about was that irrigation schedules along with that would also need to be changed. And now Davy Kadiampikeni um, and Kelly Morgan have done a lot of work with irrigation scheduling and actually shown that a more frequent lower amounts but more frequent irrigation so that you're putting out the same amount of water total over a month but you're doing it in smaller doses um, actually does improve the health of the tree and the productivity of the tree. Is that resulting in better yields when that happens? Um, At this point in their case I think I'd have to go back and check with actually Davey on that but I think it did improve yield a little bit. Most of it is kind of anecdotal as growers have moved over to fertigation systems and changed the irrigation schedule. Also modified the irrigation pH to make it a the root zone happier for the roots so that the roots kind of can live a little bit longer, they're not as stressed, um, and that nutrients are more available because of the pH. We've seen trees kind of stabilize and yield improve a little bit um, as that has gone on. And kind of one of the more recent observations um, that I discussed with you before this a little bit, that we're not sure if this is cause or effect yet. We really need to look 
into it, but we've actually been running some experiments in multiple growers, multiple growers' fields um, out, you know, for various reasons, kind of across the board in some of these really, you know, proactive growers' uh, fields, we've seen their root masses actually returning. And we're not sure the exact cause, but it gives me some optimism that as the trees balance and become used to HLB, because we've kind of gone through a stage of decline where the trees were existing and declining, and now they're kind of rebalancing. Although this is true even in new groves that we had seen the root loss before, and we're seeing kind of a recovery, and we're hoping to, in the next few years, try and figure out what factor it is that's allowing that recovery. Excellent. Most growers have gone to this spoon feeding, more more frequent feeding process now in Florida. Yeah. Most of the growers that I interact with have gone to that uh, more spoon feeding uh, method. I haven't done a uh, careful survey of around the state, but the ones that I talk to regularly have done this, and they've seen their trees kind of stabilize and produce a good yield. Um, as you know, we kind of we expected after Irma for it to just, including the juice companies, expected to be a bit of a, a crash in yield that just never recovered. And I was as surprised as anyone at how how well the trees seem to have recovered from that Irma damage, and that the yield has stabilized. I think that has to do with not just root health, but general um, kind of attention to detail and caring for citrus trees. Anything brief you'd like to add? In in the I, realm of root health, one of the challenges that we kind of face as we're all learning about HLB and how HLB affects the tree as a whole, and it's a moving, yeah, as I kind of alluded, it's a moving target. We started out this discovery when um, only about 10 to 20 percent of the trees in Florida showed symptoms, and most of them were asymptomatic or possibly even healthy. And then we go through a decline stage, and now things are kind of stabilizing. So it is a moving target, and um, that leads to difficulty in kind of planning experiments and designing recommendations. And one of the current things that we're struggling with that hopefully we'll have some clarity after some trials over the next few years is things like phytophthora control, because we've uh, talked a lot about promoting root longevity um, and by doing that by reducing stresses. And we, we have good evidence that, say, reducing pH stress on the roots um, helps with the yield, but we're finding that with Phytophthora, we're not so certain that it's as effective in some of the other pests. Yeah, so we want to try and give recommendations that are the best interest of the grower, both for tree long-term tree productivity, but also taking into account their pocketbook. Um, they do have limited resources, and we need to try and balance which resources are the best for them to spend to keep their trees alive and productive. One of the things that we're uh, kind of looking at now is the, the cost-benefit that you get from phytophthora management, because we know that some of the products have lost some of their efficacy, and we don't know why that is, because HLB actually increases the um, susceptibility of the plant to phytophthora, but at the same time, somehow it is reducing the efficacy of some of the, the management products, but we also have two new chemistries that have come on board that we haven't done any tests with. And so we're still trying to figure out, are some of these worth, you know, still worthwhile, are other ones not worthwhile, and we're still in the early stages of figuring that out. Evan, thanks for the information. Taylor, 
Back to you. Good information there. Thanks, Ernie. It'll be interesting to see what connections they can make with that research. Of course, Wanglong Bing resistance is something plant breeders are searching for in new varieties, but they're also looking at ways to combat low juice prices that we talked about earlier on in the show. Again, Ernie got a chance to talk about what's being developed for HLB and for what can help make a more premium product. I'm with Jude Grosser, a geneticist and plant breeder at the Citrus Research and Education Center in Lake Alfred. Welcome, Jude. Hello. Jude, let's talk a little about some new orange cultivars that you and Fred Gemitter and others have worked on, Bill Castle, I think. Uh, why do we need new orange cultivars? Well, in my opinion, there's, there's two reasons. If you're following uh, orange juice sales, you'll notice that uh, they've been declining. And so, in my opinion, uh, the best way to combat that is to have a higher quality orange juice that's more colorful and more flavorful, that's, that's going to be more attractive for the initial buy, and then people that drink it are going to like it so much they're going to want to come back and, and buy it again. And there's a lot more competition in the, in the marketplace now with different juices, you know, all the pomegranate and all these different blends that you see in the store now. So uh, we, we've got to up our game and deliver a very consistently high quality product to, to remain competitive uh, in sales. The second reason being, of course, is, is that Florida is now under the scourge of Huang Long Bing and it's endemic in the state and pretty much any tree that you plant um, is going to be infected within two years and so we have to be able to grow oranges that uh, can maintain their quality and can sustain adequate yields for the farmers to make a living in, in this new environment that we're not going to be able to escape from. So we, ha- we have to do a better job with our um, genetics and, and production systems to defeat this disease. How about we turn you loose for a couple minutes and tell us about some of the new orange cultivars your team has come up with and their harvest dates, etc. Okay, so the two mainstays of the Florida juice industry uh, for many, many decades have been Hamlin and Valencia. And Hamlin is the early season orange. It was generally harvested in November and December, although because of Huang Bing disease, that's now been pushed back a month. Uh, and Valencia has generally started late February at the, at the earliest, but usually around the 1st of March, and they're harvested uh, through up until June. Uh, Valencia provides the, the quality of our juice. It's, it's always been considered the number one juice orange in the world for qu- quality, whereas Hamlin uh, has poor color and just mediocre flavor. It does not make a grade A juice on its own, so it has to be blended. Uh, now, there is a, there's a harvest gap between the two, and there's been some mid-season oranges uh, throughout the years. Pineapple was a popular mid-season orange, and then mid-sweet came in. So our program has focused on uh, improving the juice quality throughout the entire season, uh, but for the beginning part of the season, we definitely want to have better uh, color and flavor. So... 36 is the score you need, the juice color score you need for a grade A product. And Valencia's usually come in about 38, and Hamlin's, they're, they're usually between 33 and 34. So they, they need quite a boost in juice color just to meet the, the grade A standard. And so our, our goal was to have Valencia quality, minimum Valencia quality juice from the beginning of November all the way through the season till, till June. And so you can't really breed uh, oranges using traditional breeding methods very efficiently. Um, even if you use sweet orange as a parent, it's very difficult to recover hybrids back that produce fruit that a consumer would accept as, as a sweet orange. It's a very narrow 
uh, definition. So we've looked for other sources of variation within orange, and we've exploited those using uh, tissue culture processes to produce what we call soma clones, and we've done budwood irradiation and looked at seedling variation uh, that we get from different new cellar oranges. And all those are contributing now to um, the new variety. So for the tail end of the season, uh, we have released a a new Valencia clone bead 9-65 that was selected in a very large uh, Valencia trial where we had about 33 different late season clones. And it was selected for consistently high higher yields and higher fruit quality throughout the entire seven years that we, we took data from this very large trial. And that's been made available commercially. So it's just a very superior clone of Valencia, and it starts producing fruit precociously, so it's a, it's a win-win for, for the growers. Also, at the end of the season now, we have a new series, what we call the Ori Lee Late Series, OLL, and they actually have even better flavor and color than Valencia, and they seem to have slightly better greening tolerance under good uh, nutrition programs. And the OLLs, uh, so far, there, there are two available commercially, number eight and number four, and more recently, we released uh, OLL number 20. It's coming out this year. It was approved for release just very recently. And this was selected totally on the basis of its exceptional flavor. Now, it doesn't, the sugar-acid ratio is pretty much the same as it is for OLL4 and OLL8, but there's something in the volatiles that make the juice from this OLL20 uh, taste better. And uh, we found out in our own data, also the data from Tropicana, so that, that should be a, a boost to our, uh, to our flavor. Now, in the mid-season category, uh, we've released uh, from Dr. Gemitter's work a very low-seeded, almost seedless clone of uh, mid-sweet that has higher solids. So if you like mid-sweet, that's now available. And we have Valquarius uh, from my program. And Valquarius is a name that came from a Valencia that matures in the Aquarius period. So we hybridized the names to, to make Valquarius. And it's actually a Valencia that matures about eight weeks earlier than normal, so six to eight weeks. So you can start getting it in mid-January. And then through Dr. Castle's work with um, Ori Lee, and a number of other people, uh, Vernia was uh, made available by a seed, seed introduction, and that also fits in that window um, in mid-January to the beginning of March. And both Vernia and Valquarius produce Valencia-quality juice, uh, but we're getting it earlier. Now, in the early season, we, we found two um, clones of Valencia that are very early, from our somaclonal variation work, and we released those as EV1 and EV2, but it turns out they're actually too early in, in today's world because uh, because of the greening problem with Hamlins. Uh, Hamlins are, are much more vulnerable than Valencia. The fruit drop is, is much greater. Uh, growers have always liked Hamlin because of its high yields and the, the ability to get the fruit off the tree before the threat of a freeze. Uh, but now with a significant fruit drop that many growers are encountering, it's, it's fallen out of favor, and the juice quality has also been hit harder uh, than, than the juice quality of Valencia by this disease. Uh, so anyway, the, the, the early Valencias are actually uh, November. They're, they're at their peak maturity in the middle of November, and they're actually over the hill going into December. And so uh, the juice companies are not opening the plants until December, so we still need uh, some new oranges to hit that. Uh, December window, and we're very excited because uh, we've got two populations of Vernia clones that we've made, and we just uh, ran data from 80 different clones, and we actually found five candidates that it are showing the maturity right smack in that uh, for December, the month of December, where they're having a 36 grade A color score and a 15 ratio 
uh, which is just about perfect for um, harvest at that that time of the year. And so we're going to be working to determine which which of those you know produces the the highest yields and the, and the best reliable uh, soluble solids, and then we'll quickly make those available to the industry. So. We should have something that fits in that window. And Vernier is also much more tolerant of, of HLB than, than Hamlin, so that's a, another win there. So, so putting it all together, um, we think uh, very soon we're going to have Valencia-quality oranges that run all the way from November all the way th- uh, through June. And if you use the newer rootstocks that are coming, coming out from the breeding programs at the USDA and, and our own at, here at UF, along with the optimized nutrition programs that are emerging uh, we think we think we, the growers have a, a good chance of, of being able to, to stay in business in a very competitive nature with sustainable uh, yields of high quality juice um, all year long. So we're we're very optimistic and uh, we're, we're getting there. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much, Jude Taylor. Back to you. We want to say thanks to all of the researchers for making time for this episode today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to be notified when a new episode is published. And if you like what you heard today, share it with a friend or colleague. Again, thanks for joining us for another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. We'll see you next month. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.